Hello, and welcome to the An Apologist Handbook Podcast. I am Isaac Floyd. Today, we're going to do some serious debunking. Yes, the title is a spoof. I don't care. (laughs) Anyway, so today we're going to go over some common atheist objections to the the Christian ideal of who God is and God's existence and so forth. A new thing that's coming out. If you'd like to submit your own question, you can send it to askahandbook at gmail.com. That is A-S-K-A-H-A-N-D-B-O-O-K. No spaces, all lowercase. If you'd like to remain anonymous with your question, uh, don't leave a name. And just ask the question and leave it at that, and I won't I won't introduce your name. But if you write your name there, or you write some pseudonym, I guess, <laughs> I will I will go like, okay, well, Timothy Smythe says, and then answer your question to the best of my ability. So, common common atheist objections. The way I'm going going to start this off, I'm going to go with some two light questions. Um, One, or I guess two light objections. One objection by like Stephen Hawking. And then a very serious objection that's fairly common. Today we're going to be going over... uh, The only reason you're a Christian is because you live in the West. Uh, It doesn't have to be God. It could be aliens. And the universe created itself. And then the serious one being the problem of evil. First question is as follows. The only reason you're a Christian is because you live in the West. If you were born in Saudi Arabia, you'd be a Muslim. In Hindu, you'd in in India, you'd be a Hindu. In South Asia, you'd be a a a Buddhist. This is a pragmatically good statement. It's it's not pragmatic in the way that it actually addresses anything substantial. But it does. It is used to under, undermine your own faith, because it is true to an extent. All right. So, if I was raised in Saudi Arabia and I was raised by Muslim parents, then I probably would be a Muslim at some point in time. This does not mean that I'd be a Muslim my entire life. It just means that at some point in time, I most likely would be a Muslim. So, the issue with this is it undermines your faith, but it doesn't undermine any facts. Yes, that is why I came to believe 
that I'm a Christian at first because I was raised in the conditions that I was, but this does not mean that my belief is less valuable. It's actually a fallacy. It's called the genetic fallacy, pointing out why someone believes a position rather than addressing the actual position and its parts. In this, in this same hat, I can flip back on the atheist and say, the only reason you're an atheist is because you live in the secular West, where the government cannot push a religious agenda. In America, we have the separation of church and state. The state cannot be adamantly religious if they are to put out a, a law or a statement of some sort. So, the reason why you're an atheist is because you live in a secular culture. Boom. Atheism debunked. <laughs> uh, it's important to know that any, uh, any statement like these things have to end, or proper objection have to end in the conclusion, therefore, God does not exist. If it doesn't end in that conclusion, then it's not a proper objection. So, the only reason you're you're a Christian is because you live, live in the West. Therefore, God does not exist. There's a lot of issues with that because there's a lot of dots that aren't being crossed. Moving on. Yeah, but it doesn't have to be God. It could be aliens. The issue with this is you're adding more dependent variables. No. You can't do that. If you add more dependent variables, you just begin to add more uh, things that require a explanation. Give answers that answer questions. Don't give answers that ask more questions. Where do the aliens come from? What created the aliens? What are the aliens? Are they physical? What do they look like? And on. A counterpoint uh, given by Lewis Wolpert in his debate with William Lane Craig. He had brought this up with the computer, but we'll run with the aliens. Uh, no, no, these aliens, they're special aliens. They're, they're timeless, spaceless, personal, all-powerful, etc. If you're going to, to give an alien... All of the attributes of God, then you're just redefining alien. Or, in some cases, redefining God. Which is not something you can do, and that's cheating. Alright, you can't just take a term and then redefine it the way that you like to define it, and then say, haha, this is a toaster. No, Chuck, that is clearly a television. Like, just because you re, re you you put attributes onto something and call it something else does not make it that thing. So this is a bad counterpoint. The counterpoint is just saying, yes, but words differently. But no.
you can't just words differently. You have to use the same words that mean the same thing. If I say I am a toaster and you say, obviously, Isaac, you are not a toaster. And I go, I am a special type of toaster. I am a toaster that has flesh, hearts, a soul, no metal, uh, have bones and I can speak and I can think and I am a sentient being. Then you're like, then Isaac, you're not a toaster. Isaac, you are a human being because that's what a human being is. That's the definition of a, of a human being. And saying that a toaster is a human being is just wrong. I've made a point. Moving on to a interesting bit. I'll have to break this down a whole lot. Stephen Hawking, in his grand design, said, and I quote, Because there is a law such as gravity, the universe can and will create itself from nothing. End of quote. John Lennox, uh, one of my favorite speakers, he, he was talking about uh, on, on Stephen Hawking. You can look at at, uh, at his video on YouTube. There's a seven minute one, and then there is a like a I think it's like maybe an hour and a half, two hours. But if you're looking for the seven 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 minute one, you're gonna look up John Lennox on Stephen Hawking. It should be about seven minute thirty seconds. And if you're looking for the two hour one, you can look up. John Lennox be thinking, and that's around specifically an hour, I think, of 15, 50 minutes. I may be wrong. Anyway, he breaks it down into this, and I love it. So, how, how he lays it out is there's a large, there are, are three large contradictions in this one sentence. Because there is such a law of gravity, the universe can create itself from nothing. The law of gravity is something. It exists. It, 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 it is not. It can't exist in the absence of something. For instance, if you have nothing, you can't have law of gravity. Why? Because the law of gravity is certainly something, and if you insert something into nothing, it ceases to be nothing. And nothing is Nothing. Wow. So unless Hawking here is redefining, here, here we go again, the redefining of terms. Unless Stephen Hawking is redefining what nothing means, which there is no evidence within this context that assumes such. Then, then as in, if, if, unless he's redefining nothing, he's just wrong. Aristotle. The way that he defined nothing as, he said, nothing is what rocks dream about, end of quote. <sighs> uh, and it's just bothersome. Stick with the term, define that term, and, and when you make a claim, don't stray away from that term. The universe can and will create itself. This is another contradiction. In order to say that X created Y, you presuppose that X came before Y. This is what this is what John Laddick says. Um, the issue with this is 
Hawking is currently saying that that the universe creates itself. So X creates X. But in order for X to create itself, you are presupposing that X came before X, which is logically incoherent. Thirdly, the idea that gravity creates the universe. Gravity is a law of nature. In order for a law of nature to exist, there must be a nature to be a law to. <laughs> no nature exists in nothing because nothing is in fact. No thing. Nothing. There's, there is not a thing in nothing. So, there are three contradictions in one statement. John Lennox says on this statement, I've subsequently tried to invent a sentence in English that also contains three levels of self-contradictions, and I haven't been able to do so. So, my challenge to you is to try and copy Hawking by producing something parallel to it. End of quote. I also want this. I want you guys to send in your attempts. Yes, I'm. I'm gonna. I'm gonna put it in. Uh, I'm gonna add it in the second time. Go to ask a, ask a handbook at gmail.com, and if it's a successful triple self contradiction, I'll read it out loud on the podcast, and it'll be swell. Anyway, let's get. Let's uh, come back from the lighter questions, and let's get into. Something heavier, the problem of evil. This is a difficult one to answer because usually the pragmatic use of this question is emotional. If God exists, why did my baby die? If God exists, why did someone shoot my grandparent? God exists... Why is why why is life so sad? All right. Problem of evil. We're gonna break it out into its assumption and then into its premises. Premises. Its assumption is that, in order to go through through its hypothesis, makes an assumption that there is a perfect God. But the premises tend, uh, want to refute this assumption. So. There is a perfect God. The premises is a perfect... The first premise is a perfect God would create a world that he prefers. The second premise is a perfect God would prefer a world with no evil. And the third premise is there is no evil. There is evil in the world. And the conclusion is, therefore, there is no perfect God. All that's required to satisfy now, now logically, all that's required to satisfy satisfy this problem is to prove that assumption can be compatible that the assumption can be compatible with premise three, which is there is evil in the world. The issue, the issue with addressing this emotionally is sometimes people don't like that. <laughs> they don't they don't like the they don't like the fact that a perfect God can can exist in a world where there is evil. And uh, the only way that I have to address that is 
if you are a Christian, and this is bothering you, there are lots of verses in the Bible for comfort. And uh, there, uh, Paul is, is excellent in this, uh, going through how suffering works. And I would just, I, I, would, I would send you to a specific uh, a letter, but I don't know if I, if I have one off the bat for me to, to think about. Um, but, I, but I would, I would, just Paul's letters in general are pretty uplifting, in my own personal opinion, unless you go to uh, Romans, which is more of the, uh, specifically Romans one. I think that's, that's the only one that sticks out to me that isn't heartwarming because that mainly to do with the unbelievers and uh the same that the same thing they put themselves into my my only point is if you're a christian and you're dealing with this as, as an emotional problem then uh one talk to the people around you because because talk to the christians around you because they either they don't know what you're going through and they can still give you godly advice they know what you're going through they can give you a godly godly advice or they can't or they don't know what you're going through and they can't give you the godly advice but you can still have them around you and in your presence and i find that that's very very useful if you're an atheist and you have this this emotional problem i i tend to be a little bit harsher Mainly, mainly because you can only use this this argument, the problem of evil, in a possibility sense. So instead of coming to the conclusion that there is no God because evil is in the world, you would have to say there probably is no God because there is evil in the world. And you have to say that because the... Uh, because God and evil aren't, I'm sorry, the existence of God, I should say, the existence of God and the existence of evil aren't exactly contradictory. And if you find yourself emotionally struggling with this, that's not factual. And as long as you are understanding that, that you're that your doubt is not a factual doubt, it's an emotional doubt, then fine. But if you find that even after you've, you've heard people go over this problem multiple times, that you're still not budging, then that is definitely emotional doubt. And I, and I suggest that you reevaluate your, the way you look at religion and specifically Christianity. Moving on. All that's required to satisfy this objection is to prove that the assumption there is a perfect God can be compatible with premise three. There is evil in the world. There are two ways to solve this issue. Um, the first way is that people cause evil. I'm, I've made my own premises. I'm just walk me through it. I'm just going to walk you through them. God made a world that he prefers. God prefers a world without evil. 
God also prefers a world with, with free will. Wherever there is free will, evil will exist. I'm going to pause here. I'm going to explain that. If there is free will, then people can must be able to do good and bad. If people are not able to do bad, then, then they do not have free will. If they are not able to do good, they do not have free will. There has, they ha, it just evil has to exist if free will exists because you people have to be able to act on both sides of the spectrum. And if humans are able to act in, the, in, a, in a way, then they will. I also don't happen to believe that humans are inherently good. I, I, I feel like there is reason to believe, like with the Stanley Milgram tests and all the other, all these other psychological experiments, that humans are they're really easy to do something that is bad, that is evil. So, saying all that, where there is free will, especially with humans, evil will exist. Moving on to my next premise. The world has evil. The world also has free will. My conclusion is, God preferred a world with free will more than a world without evil. My Summary, because it is possible that God would prefer a world with free will more than a world with no evil, it is possible that evil and a perfect God exist. So now we're going to move on to the next part of the problem of evil, natural evil. Hurricanes, you know, cancer. Funny thing is, when I was editing, editing this a while ago, I forgot to leave out the I forgot to put in the comma for hurricanes and cancer, so it just looked like hurricane cancer, dun -dun -dun. and I, don't know, I found that very funny. My imagination runs wild, kind of like, oh no, here it comes, hurricane cancer. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> um, I'm gonna skip to the uh, there's evil moral premise because this fits with all of the other premises that I made beforehand. There is evil in the world. God can permit suffering to achieve a greater good. For instance, you take your four-year-old daughter to the dentist. She hates the dentist. And this entire time, she's wondering, I thought my father loved me. I thought my mother would not want me to suffer. If she didn't want me to suffer, she must not love me. Wow. What the heck, mom? And now, and now you, you get to the uh, idea, well, you had to suffer so that, you know, you could be healthy. Same thing goes with, like, shots something. Oftentimes, I look at some other things like, um, let's say I was diagnosed with cancer. 
and my entire life I had been living for me, and I hadn't cared much about where I'm going after I die. But I'm 26, and I get cancer. This is a hypothetical. And I'm now being have to wrap my head around my own mortality. And then I have to realize that I haven't done a whole lot with my life other than go to school, go to college, and get out. I'm not 26, by the way, in case you're wondering. Um, but if I, if that's all I had done in my life, I had would have to go through some serious thinking about what my life actually was. And then that's when I come to Jesus. And maybe I die from cancer. But I'm with Jesus. Or I guess will be with Jesus. Maybe I don't die from cancer. Now I'm a Christian. And I will be with Jesus when the, when the kingdom comes. That's a good thing. There's an argument to be made. I don't know if I entirely agree with this argument. People have made the argument that now me getting cancer is no longer evil. It was good, or at least neutral, or tool used for my benefit. That is an argument. I'm still mulling over a little bit. But... There's a common Christian phrase that God uses God uses our bad times for, for our good and his glory. And I think that because that is a thing, natural evil can exist with God. So, bringing it to my all-around conclusion, because it is possible that God can permit natural evil to achieve a greater good. It is possible that a natural evil and a perfect God exists. And they coexist. Does that make God evil? No. Does that make all natural evils good? I don't think so. So I don't think that we're redefining our terms at all. I just think that we are taking a full approach to how everything can function. You can take to you can you could take your your daughter to the hot, to, to the dentist because you want to see a doctor pick out her teeth for a half an hour because you're a sicko, or you can bring your daughter to the dentist because it's her annual checkup and she needs to figure out what's going on with her ingrown tooth nonsense. Those are two possibilities. One possibility, you are a punk. The other possibility, you are a good mother, father, sister, brother, person in charge of younger child. Um, there was a type of consistency with all these questions, and I'm just not realizing it. A 
all of them happen to have some sort of term that needs to be defined. And I hope that you are able to take the terms in your life, define them, and then hook them to how God plays through them. You should always know what good is. You should always know what evil is. All right. Just think about that. And I feel like you'll, you'll go far. This has been the Apologist Handbook. Remember, you can insert your your questions at askahandbook at gmail.com. A-S-K-A-H-A-N-D-B-O-O-K. No spaces, all lowercase. Have an amazing week and uh, walk with the Lord.